All right. Well, good evening. I hope by now everyone has sermon notes. Does everybody? Does anybody need any sermon notes? No. Okay. Good. Open your Bibles to the Book of Luke, chapter one. And tonight, I have a, just a brief study for us as we're coming to have our candlelight service, and we're going to look at the light that came on this night. We. Um, have traditionally had a candlelight service, and I like it because it's, it's a tangible way for us to think of this light. And what we're going to look at is light that was talked about before, then during, and then after the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want you to be thinking about this even through the night, maybe tomorrow, that light was a key part of the birth of Jesus Christ. And I hope you'll find this as a in, very interesting study. Obviously, we don't know when Jesus was actually born. Uh, December 25th was a pagan holiday. That's why it got picked. Um, there's a lot of speculation that it was in the spring because of the shepherds being out in the, out in the field. <clears throat> but we just don't know. Some things that I play in my mind is if Jesus was born on this night, well, if December 25th is his birthday, well, then it has to be after midnight if you go by our calendar, I mean, our, our clock, right? But if you go by the Jewish timetable, it could be any time after 6 o'clock because the Jewish um, clock kicked off around 6 o'clock. That's when the new day started, and, uh, which is kind of like a side fun little fun fact. When you go back and you look at the first six days of creation, it's always... Uh, um, an evening and a day, an evening and a day. It's like backwards. We would always think a morning and, and then a evening. <coughs> so anyway, th- those are just fun facts that we have. When we look at tonight these passages that we're going to talk about, they'll have light in them. It's all bringing to bear the truth that Jesus himself will proclaim when he's an adult. He'll, he'll say this famous line in John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. He who follows me does not walk in darkness, but has the light of the world. And it's our hope tonight that everybody here is following that light and thinking, you know, about are they going after the light, the light of Jesus Christ. Light impacts us in so many ways, and, you know, it illumines us, it gives us direction, and even the Bible says, you know, it's a light unto our path, right? God's word. Light can also bring energy for life, whether it's heat, whether it's warmth for comfort, plants to grow, vitamin D for the body. Light has so many dynamics. And tonight, as we talk about the light and we focus on the light, one thing I just need to point out is that light is only important because there is darkness. And darkness is the absence of light. Sometimes you can even feel that absence. This world that we live in is a very dark world. It is a world that is dark, and it's filled with evil things, bad things. It's filled with death. It's filled with tragedy. It's it's filled with sinful acts. And on top of it all, it's dark because God's judgment hangs over all of humanity. All of it is dark. And I wonder if you think about 2017, how did that darkness hit you? How did that darkness come upon you where you just felt like, man, it just seems like my world is so dark. And I know that the more that darkness comes in, the more tonight 
makes or becomes all the more precious. Um, I, I sometimes think it's almost like there's uh, evil forces. You know, we, we take a flashlight and you put a beam of light out. It's almost like sometimes someone has a beam of darkness and they shine it in your life and <coughs> they put it into your, into your life. Um, darkness is something that just takes the very life away from you and you just feel like, you know, like the passage of, um, for the unbelievers, they live in darkness, they walk in darkness and they don't know where they're going. And when you're just impacted by darkness, even though if you're a believer, you just feel like, man, it just takes away the direction in my life and I hate what darkness brings. I thought it was interesting, I was doing some research for tonight and I came across a Time Magazine article, March 3rd, 2010. Some researchers did a study on darkness. And, you know, we would all say, oh, in the dark, you know, people think they can get away with things. And we all would agree with that. That wasn't what their research was. What their research was about was in the dark, does, it, does the darkness encourage people to do more evil? And that's what they found. That through their study, they found that darkness also not only allowed people a cover, but it allowed them to, or promoted them to do more evil. That's just kind of a fun fact. The, the Bible talks about the fact that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I was looking for a passage thinking, is, the, is there a, a verse that calls the devil the prince of darkness? And I really didn't find one. He's the prince of the power of the air. But I just wanted you to think about just a couple of these passages before we get started. That Colossians 1.13 talks about Jesus. He was the one who delivered us from the power of what? It's darkness. Isn't it interesting that we, before we're saved, before we become believers, it's called the power of darkness and it controls us. And Bible tells us in, in, about God, in him there is no darkness at all. And the proclamation of the message in Acts 26 tells us that it was to open people's eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And so tonight I encourage you, if you've not ever come to the light, get out of the darkness. Come to the light. Tonight, I just wanted to read two passages from Ephesians before we get started. Ephesians 5.11 encourages everyone. It says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness but instead even expose them and we live in a world that's constantly promoting darkness isn't it interesting like we have a city in america called las vegas and it's called what sin city and what what is it known for isn't it ironic it's for all its lights it's it's a city with lights but it's a city that promotes darkness and, and what happens in Vegas is supposed to stay in Vegas. Because why? Because it's promoting darkness. Ephesians chapter 6, though, has a passage that I wanted to read. The first one was in 5.11, so which I hope you'll go back and listen, um, read it on your own. But listen to this one from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It's a passage regarding the, the believer's armor. And it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of what? Darkness. Darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Darkness is why we want the light so much. So thankful that light has come into the world. So thankful that Jesus has come. And as Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So three, three passages that we're going to look at. First one is going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. You know, Luke is one of those past chapters that is just overwhelming how long it is. And, and sometimes these verses at the end of the chapter, they get lost. And we'll get there in a second in verses 78 and 79. But let me just give the background. This is the passage where uh, the parents of John the Baptist get told that they're going to have a child. And if you'll turn to chapter 1, it tells us in verse 5, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. You take this passage along with the passage um, that's going to happen in chapter 2 that tells us about the census that was taken, and now we have been able to find in peace the, you know, the, with the census and the fact that Herod was the one that was king over this area is that we now know that this had to be around the year 4 B.C., okay? So just, you might want to note, it's because of these passages, we're able to date when we believe Jesus was born. And they, obviously, I think they messed up. They wanted to have zero, I don't know, we wouldn't even call it zero A.D., but zero B when Jesus was born. But it wasn't perfect. They made some mistakes. And now we know this is probably around 4 B.C. And so... As we look at this, this was a time um, when God had not spoken to the people of Israel for 400 years. And all of a sudden, God comes in the scene, and, and he's going to have um, an angel come to the parents <coughs> of the one who we know as John the Baptist. And they were very faithful. They were righteous. The story gets told on how they were, they were told about their coming child, and then Mary is brought into the picture and um, when we come into verse 36 the angel is speaking to mary and he says in verse 35 the angel answered to her the the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you and for that reason the holy child shall be called the son of god and behold even as your relative elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age and she who was born she was called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave, slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of um, Judah, and entered to the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Behold, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So when Mary is told about Elizabeth, do you catch that line that Mary um, is told that in verse 36 that she's now in her sixth month? And so if this is when the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, we think that John the Baptist is six months 
um, a lo- well, three months older than Jesus, right? So, it, right, no, six months, right? So Jesus would be, Jesus, John the Baptist would be born in three months, and then six months later, um, Jesus would have been born. And so why is that significant? Just as a side note, as a fun fact, when the Jews looked at a prophet, the prophet that came first in history was the one that was considered the most significant one. So when you looked at you know, um, Abraham, and then you looked at David, and then you looked at Daniel, in time, Abraham came before David, and then David came before Daniel. And so the one who came first in history was considered greater. When you go back and on your own and you study the Gospel of John chapter 1, there is a thought um, that how could Jesus be even greater than John the Baptist? And John the Baptist answers it that he existed before I am. It's a great line. It's a great, great line to prove the deity of Jesus Christ. But we're getting to this whole concept of light and sunshine and, and, and why the light is part of the, the um, announcement regarding the birth of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to fill in, it says, you see a new light predicted to bless the world. Because after Mary gives her great speech and John then is born, John's father gives a great prophecy. And this prophecy is often missed. And like I said, I wanted to read it and focus just on one line out of it, but we'll pick up the entire prophecy, verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, right? Isaiah chapter 40. And to give his people the knowledge of salvation, but the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, we don't know anywhere else where Jesus is called sunshine. He's going to be called the son of righteousness, S-U-N. But look at that line, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. Why sunrise? It's thought, what does the sunrise do? But it brings a new day. And, you know, if, if, as we read through this, did you catch this, the downer, the depression, the sadness, the fact that we're going to have salvation from our enemies, we're going to have mercy given to us, we're going to be basically, like if you look at verse 74, we're going to be rescued this had to be, for the Jewish people, an incredibly difficult and hard time. They were under God's judgment. As we studied this morning, they had sinned. And, you know, they not only were dealing with the regular, regular problems of, of people dying, but when you are a slave and you are being oppressed, I mean, think about it. You work real hard, and then all of a sudden somebody says, I just want to take what you have. 
I just want to be able to kill when I want to kill you. I, I can take and do whatever I want. I mean, that beats you down all the more. You know, sometimes we get frustrated. You know, we just had that big tax um, bill passed in the United States. When, you, when the government would come in and just say, hey, you know, we're going to double taxes. We're going to increase your taxes. I mean, it's very hard for, you know, us. We look at it, and it just, it's, it's oppressive. And so you had all of that dynamic going on. And it's not by mistake that the words that were chosen were to talk about a light coming into the world. And I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about him as being called a sunrise, about bringing a new day into your life. And so the people were in darkness. They lived, look at as verse 79. It talked about to shine upon those who, who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. Um, you know, I want that imagery to just really impact you. I know for myself, being a child, when I was younger, how much the holiday of Christmas, the birth of Jesus, meant so much for the festivities and all the presents and everything that comes with it. But I can tell you, as I've gotten older, and I even shared this morning, the more you get older, the more you just feel this, the darkness of this world, what, the, what evil brings, what death brings, and just it just, you just wish there was no more darkness and so, so thankful that Jesus Christ has come and you want to embrace the light and wish that that light had stayed, right? So think about verse 77, think um, verse 78. He is called the sunrise from on high. On high, we know that means from God and he was the sunrise. Malachi verse 42 says, Malachi verse 42, Two from chapter four says, "But you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, as you will go out and leap like calves, released from the stall." And I just want you to think about God had promised that that He would bring a new day into the people of Israel, and obviously now that message has gone out beyond Israel to all of us. So the very, very prediction was of a new day, new, something better was coming about. And I hope that is something that you embrace. Second, as we go into chapter 2, here's the day of his birth. And this is the great story. We'd just read the very first nine verses. It says in verse 1, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. We now know historically that there were two census. It's fascinating because sometimes <coughs> there was accusations that we as Christians had this wrong. There couldn't have been even one census. Now we even know there were two. So that's just a side note. Verse 3, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is, in, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. And so just think about the reality. You know, we think about the story of them going to Bethlehem, but what a major inconvenience. These people had to travel a long distance just because some Roman governor said, hey, we're going to have a census. They, they, they were forced. The oppression was even there. Um, 
just as, a, again, a, not, a, a note is that Joseph, we see, was of the um, house of David. He was of the house and family of David. And as I always like to point out, that Jesus, I mean, Joseph was in the line to be king. And this is part and parcel, I believe, the reason we know that Joseph wasn't alive when Jesus begins his ministry, when Jesus goes to the Jews and proclaims himself to be king. The reason he could say, I'm king, is because his father's no longer alive. All right? So that if his father was alive, his father would be king. So Jesus, I believe, had had his father die, and that's what a lot of people think. That's why we don't see him in the Gospels. Well, verse 6. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And a lot of times the innkeeper gets a bad rap, but the re- <laughs> like, he was being mean, but there was no room in the inn. <laughs> I mean, if, if the place of every room was packed, what was he supposed to do, right? For those innkeepers out there, you know, don't, don't want you to feel bad. Um, there was no room for them in the inn. It's like, no stories always get like, oh, I don't care, you know, there's no room for you. There was no room. All right, all right. In verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, with which is for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. <coughs> what I want you to fill in the blank is what the idea is, what the word confirm. You, you see the light confirm this as a message. When, when the light, I hate that word, uh, tough English, shone, okay? Why have light shone? Well, because it's the, God has been choreographing this perfectly for this to happen at night. It had to provide a far greater contrast. You have the night, and then all of a sudden this light appears. And the light appears to tell you that this is something special, that this is something significant. And, and God didn't have to have that light, but he brought it in to let them know of, it was an angel from the Lord. And it was a holy angel And it was there to confirm the message is true and genuine. You know, sometimes, and you know, watch a game show, and if somebody gets the answer right, a light goes on. Bing, bing, bing. In hockey, if somebody makes a goal, the light goes on. This is that kind of thing. The light has gone on. Why? To confirm the reality that this was a true and genuine message. And isn't it interesting that God used that perfect picture that night to allow the shepherds who were considered outcasts, lowly people, not high-quality people, to hear this declaration that the Christ had been born. And so think about that. Think about the fact that God brought light on that very night. And then lastly, the third event I thought we'd look look at happens after the birth of Jesus. And you go in a little bit further into chapter 2. This is when when he was presented on the eighth day for his circumcision, we believe, in the temple. And we pick up in verse 25, and it says, And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
<coughs> Excuse me. I just think that's incredibly fascinating how God worked. That God had let one man know, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And I, I don't know if you thought about this, but he had to tell people. And a lot of people, I wonder if they thought he was absolutely crazy. But he's telling people, look, the Holy Spirit's told me I'm not going to die until I see the Messiah. And so it came about, verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and he blessed God and said this. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. So now he can die. And he says, according to your word, verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the, all the glory of your people, Israel. And I want you to fill in this word. I know it's a bigger word, but it's the word universal. Because days after his birth, you see the light represent the universal purpose of his life. I know it's sometimes hard for us to understand that how this is so significant but when we recognize that you had to become jewish to be saved before now you don't have to become jewish and how before the message of god's blessing was limited to the jewish people now it's ex it's expanded to all nations all people gentiles how incredibly wonderful that is and he could have just said you know it's a message to everyone but he doesn't he calls it a light of revelation, a light of unveiling. Remember the book Revelation means to unveil Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling. And now it's a light of revelation. It's a light. Why? Because this world is in darkness and the message can now go out to everyone. It's absolutely a light that everyone can participate in. It's a light that's universal. I'm trying to think of ways I could picture light that aren't universal. I was thinking, well, if you're, if you're in my house, you know there's two things. One, I love flashlights, okay? And because I always figured the power's going to go out and I need to have a flashlight. And so how does this deal with restriction? Because one of the things, if you're a father and you've got a flashlight, what do you know? If the kids can get a flashlight, they're going to play with it. And then the lights are going to go out. And what are you going to need? You're going to need your flashlight. But the kids have played with it and there's no <laughs> the batteries, right? <laughs> and so the whole thing always was kids don't play with the flashlights. Well, now this is like, okay, I, this could be a lame example. Play with whatever you want. <laughs> this light goes out to everyone. <coughs> the light is available to everyone. It's a universal light. And it's more than just a flashlight. It's a message that we can take to every race, every nationality, every background. Anywhere you go, anyone you talk to, you can tell them about Jesus Christ and tell them about how he's a light and how his message can take you out of darkness. And tonight, think about it. Has the darkness overcome you? The Bible says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible talks about the fact that this darkness of sin can destroy your life and ultimately send you to a place called hell. And I always find that ironic that hell is a place of darkness. A place of darkness. Jesus is a light for the world. The prediction has come true. What, what, what John the Baptist's dad predicted what was confirmed by the angels, and what Simeon said to the world. 
has all come true. And today, his light goes out into the entire world. And what a tragedy if you've not believed in it. What a tragedy if darkness is winning in your life. Darkness is all around. Death, tragedy, sin, separation, pain. All of it is because of darkness. This world is a very dark place. Think about how dark it is. But because of this light, now the drunk no longer needs to hide in the darkness of drink. The liar no longer needs the cover of deception. The sexually immoral can come out of the darkness. The sinner can come and find light to guide their life. And so tonight, I want you to think about how the light can bless your life. How the light is something that, that can come into your life and you can be a witness to it. You can let your light shine in the world. And wherever you are and you belong to Jesus, you have the light of the world always to lead you. Today, I'm asking you to continue to shine for Jesus Christ, but first and foremost, to believe in him. Father, I just pray that tonight everybody will think about the light in a very special way. I'm hoping that everyone here believes in it, that no one wants to stay in the darkness, but all want to come to the light of Jesus Christ. May tonight's candlelight just allow us to again focus on really what has come, a light that pierces the darkness. Bless everyone, God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.